P. Ryan is in. One timeout for Cincinnati. And going deep into the end zone and caught by Chase. Oh, my goodness, what a crab. 34-yard touchdown throw. Burrow back to throw. Fires deep down the yeah. sideline. Chase wide oh, open. Oh, oh. Touchdown. Man. Bengals. Unreal. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. My name is Paul Hirons and I'm on my own this week. My co-host and partner in crime, Nathan Palmer, is gallivanting around Italy on his birthday weekend. So we wish him well and wish him a happy birthday. He will be back next week. Um, So what's going to happen this week in this week's episode? Well, we are obviously... Let me think, about a week and a half away from the NFL draft, things are hotting up, people are starting to formulate their opinions, crystallising what they think, or who they think the Bengals will take with the uh, 31st pick in the NFL draft, and uh, this week we have Joe Goodbury. Now, uh, a lot of people are huge fans of Joe, Joe for quite a long time has been uh, the go-to guy on Twitter for free agency and the draft, and uh, this year is no difference. And delighted to say he's carved out a bit of time for us in perhaps the busiest time of year for him. Everyone wants a piece of him. And he makes his annual appearance on Cincinnati, so uh, stay tuned uh, for that. We'll bring him in just a minute. And uh, the good news is that we've got 50 minutes of prime Joe Goodbury meat to uh, digest and dip in some sauce so uh, that's coming up in a second um, and of course there's not a lot of news knocking about everyone seems to be hunkering down for the draft as it should be um, both fans and uh, front offices and uh, it should be fun to see where the Bengals go I have no idea the pool of players that they may be looking at is uh, pretty large and uh, they seem to have their uh, their roster set and ready to go there's no huge holes although there are a few holes knocking about you would say certainly in terms of depth cornerback defensive tackle offensive line tight end bit of wide receiver so there are some some position groups that no doubt they'll take a look at but news is pretty slow uh, at the moment and uh, as I say so it should be really because it's it's draft season, and it's prime draft season. The countdown has well and truly begun. So I'm not going to talk too much more. I'm going to bring in our special guest this week. And as promised, he comes on once a year, bless him, and we're very appreciative because he is the man that everybody wants a piece of this time of year. And uh, uh, we're just very thankful that he always carves out a bit of time for us. Uh, it is, of course, former contributor to the athletic Cincy jungle do you remember those days joe um oh, yeah. and also of course locked on bengals but now he is a man of leisure he is a free wheeling free roving mother lover he is of course joe goodbury joe welcome back to cincinnati it's good to see you and hear you again man it is good to see and hear from you guys as well um been a long time I, I, you know i never remember how long it's been because my 
sense of time is uh, getting fuzzy as I get older, but it feels like 10 years of coming on this podcast and doing this with you. Well, I remember, you know, you hitting the jackpot with Marvin Jones. I remember hitting the jackpot, you hitting the jackpot, not me hitting the jackpot. I rarely hit the jackpot, but you hitting the jackpot with William Jackson. And yeah, you've done stuff for us over the years and uh, it's very much appreciated because I think, you know, you got, you, you know, you and a few others on, on, on Twitter like to really get deep into things. Whereas I think we take it as a little bit, a bit of a different approach. We try and, you know, cut through all the chat and whatnot. Because, you know, there, there are people out there, and I've said this on the podcast before, people out there who are not into the draft. You know, they just want to hear some names and they just want the Bengals to pick a good player. And that's kind of it. And they're mm-hmm. excited for that prospect. But, of course, we get you on to dig deeper into the um, into the prospects and the class. And, of course, this year is different because we're picking way, way lower than... Obviously, during the Marvin years, we were picking in the 20s in the first round, I guess. Um, but now we're picking right at the end of the first round. Well, what are your thoughts on that? How, how is that different? I mean, there are some obvious things to kind of talk about there, but how is it different from picking, say... I mean, last year, let's rewind to last year when we were just talking about... The, the choice seemed... Or at least the focus seemed very narrow it was Chase versus Saul, right? Um, but now it's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? Um, what, what are the differences, do you think, um, picking at 31? Well, I think that's definitely it. What you just alluded to there is when you pick in the top five, even the top 10, right? Even when we're sitting there for John Ross and things like that, you, you, can, uh, you can sit there and say, it's probably out of these two or three guys and we can hyper focus on them, really learn these guys. I mean, we knew Penny Sewell as well as we know half the offensive linemen that are currently on the Bengals because we, you know, we watched him so much. We discussed him so much. We, you just dive in so hard on these potential players and you only, only end up with one of them, but it's such an easier focus, such a laser focus when you're at the top, but you're right. When we had the years of picking, what's seemingly forever 21st in the draft and then 24th and then 26th, they got Kevin Zeitler after a trade back. Uh, also, what was it? Chris Perry, they traded back, I think 26, 27. So yeah, they, they've been close to this range. Um, but even then the di- big difference between picking early t- to mid twenties and 31 is the truth is most teams probably have 20 to 25 first round graded players. They don't have 32 graded first round players you know you, you if you like that many players you probably like too many players because they're not all going to hit right hey, well you got about a 50 percent um hit rate in the first round so if you have 22 or so first round prospects this year which i think sounds about right you're hoping one of them will still be there if you're picking 24 25th 26 usually there will be one because it'll be reaches quarterbacks will go yada yada at 31 there may not be a first round or at least a concrete first round guy there. Uh, it's more akin to drafting the T Higgins slot where you're right at the first pick in round two, or, or even last year where they're sitting there and, and thinking, well, there's going to be an offensive lineman that's still there. And they had ultimately traded back. But you know, when you're in the top six or so picks, even in the second round, you've got a good idea. You've got a 24 hour window to sit and take a nap and regroup and regather your board and, and come back at it. That's also why it's different. 31, you get the fifth-year option picking in, in round one, right? You get to control that guy for a whole extra year, which I think is valuable for the Bengals to not have to negotiate. Imagine if we uh, control Jesse Bates for one more year with a fifth-year option. 
you know, that'd be great. Um, so the, the logic applies there that you don't get that window to reset your board and get ready for round two. You also value that fifth year option picking 31st. So that's the benefit. I just think, uh, you know, there's some names that are going to float around here and probably some names we'll talk about that I think will surprise a few Bengals fans. I think if, uh, as I'm as I'm just now getting into my rankings, I can like compare them to what everyone else is talking about. And some of them are kind of shocking me at this point because you know me. I don't typically look at what the national media or the consensus rankings are until I get to this point and I, and I see some some names that people are talking to. And I think they're hoping first round graded guys are still there at 31 seems to be the feeling. And I just I'm not sure if that if that's going to happen. And I think we should talk about the guys from 25 to 40 on our boards. OK, before we get to that, um, so that you're saying the approach is slightly different um, and it's more of an approach rather than a, a very targeted uh thing you know it's not going to be right we're going to zero in on chase we we're going to have around sort of 10 15 guys that might just edge into that bottom of the first round before we get into that um how have you been with the bengals off season so far have you been happy with how they've addressed things and how the state of the roster is looking at the moment yeah i think uh third year in a row now attacking free agency i remember coming on this the, this podcast with you and talking draft and we'd always be, you know, a little bit disappointed, I think in free agency in terms of, well, they, they still have this hole or that hole. It, it felt like they were going to attack it regardless of what happened in the draft ahead of them. The, you know, I think of the Billy price year um, where it was like, we knew they wanted a center. We knew they draft a center. I mean, it was written on their foreheads every time they, they walked up to the podium and draft season. It was like, we are going to draft a center at 21, no matter who is there. And that, ultimately bit them in, in the behind. But the point there is uh, I don't feel like they uh, have to take a position, right? I, they have holes. They have needs in the roster right now. But when you go out and you sign three offensive linemen, when you keep B.J. Hill, when you're able to keep Eli Apple, um, and you bring in a Hayden Hurst to, to fill maybe the one major loss in C.J. Uzama, you're pretty much rolling out there with a better roster than you ended the season with for sure, especially on the offensive line. No doubt about it. I think Alex Kappa is a good starting right guard. I think Ter Ted Karras is a fine starting center, potentially uh, starting left guard, depending on how this draft goes as well. And then I think Leo, the world of Leo Collins, if you go back to our 2015 podcast, uh, he was the number one player in, in that draft class for me. Uh, so to, to come back and, you know, whiff on a boy, he and Fisher to get the guy that I probably always coveted at that spot Sure, it's how many years later now, seven years later, but I, he is still a damn good player and still a very good right tackle. When he's healthy, when he's on the field, man, I think he's a top five right tackle in the NFL. Easy top five. I mean, I almost debated in my head to say top three. So that type of upgrade you would get at right guard, right tackle with Kappa and Collins. I mean, those two spots almost single-handedly lost them the Super Bowl. I know the final play was over left guard, but I mean, it was just because of a, a barrage that they faced at that on the right side there, that whole game and through the playoffs, um, major upgrades there. I mean, the things they can do on offense now increased tenfold and what Joe Burrow and what Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor can call and what they can do just with the offense, offensive line upgrades that they've made. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I wanted to say, because I, I try to be fair and balanced with this, they still have about 12, 11 and some change in cap space. There are still some 
back end roster additions I would like them to make. There's still some free agents out there. I still think you could add another body at corner. You can add another body at defensive tackle. I think you can add another offensive lineman. I mean, Quentin Spain is out there. He's probably going to take a similar deal to last year. And I'd rather have that competition be between Jackson Carmen and Quentin Spain than just give Jackson Carmen the job. Now we've got the draft here pretty much a week away. Um, Maybe they're waiting on that, and then they'll dip back in the free agency. They want to leave their options open in the draft, and I get that. But with with the Super Bowl window being what it is, and there's no denying it now, maximize this roster as hard as possible. And that, that goes also with the way they structure some of these deals. The cap, I mean, the uh, Colin deal is great. He's only going to get paid for what he plays. It's a per-game deal. But some of these other contracts are a little bloated in that first year where I think um, they could reduce the cap hit a little bit and, and maybe put it off to future years when the cap's going to really explode and when you're really not in the Super Bowl window. Mm. And my philosophy is maximize the roster for this two, you know, three-year window you have. Yeah, I think um, there's been a lot of chat how the Bengals structure their, their deals, especially for free agents and re-signing as well. You just look at the Jesse Bates saga that's carry on who knows what's happening there um but let's get back to the draft um you mentioned that while compiling your own rankings um you were shocked at some of the players that had kind of maybe fallen to the back end of that first round maybe what we're looking at like 20 to 32 that kind of range so give us some of the names that have shocked you in your own evaluations uh, and someone that keeps coming up just had a top 30 visit and uh, top 30 visits are Bengals are allowed to bring in 30 guys to poke and prod at Paul Brown stadium before the draft. Um, so spending them wisely is a key part of every team's uh, draft process. They just brought in Andrew Booth, the corner out of Clemson. A lot of people have him as a top 20 ish guy. Um, hoping that he's there. And I, I live in the Buffalo area. So a lot of bills fans and analysts are saying, I'd like to take him at 25. I see him getting mocked to the chiefs with their two picks of, of right in front of the Bengals as well. He comes with, to me as like a day two type prospect. And that's because, because I liked him on tape, but I try to bring in everything that uh, encompasses a prospect's profile. Uh, one of them being he didn't test this year at all. So like when, you know, when we t- look at the combine and the guys are running around in your underwear, we like to make our jokes, but there is value. And that's why they continue to, to show up for it every year to do it. Part of that is it gives you a standardized test to compare players to, to previous generations, previous years, and get an idea of where they stack up, not just against those historical players, but in their own class. So when, when players do not test, and some teams do not draft these guys if they don't test. The Bills haven't drafted a guy like that since 2009. The uh, Falcons have drafted two guys in the last 12 years or so. The Bengals have drafted 17 in the last 20 years. They drafted three in 2020 um, with – they don't have a lot of success, let's say. It's, it's the guys like Cedric Obwehi, uh, Billy Price, Jackson Carmen. Uh, but there are some guys like Akeem Davis Gaither, who is a solid backup to maybe a role player. Khaled Kareem recently, that maybe he turns into a role player as well. But, I mean, those are the top guys that, of, of the untested guys. So I heard a guy pretty much a lot. Uh, I'll knock him down um, uh, quite a few points if they do not test. So Andrew Booth is is in that category with me. I also looked at historical um, data on this. If you draft a high elite testing athlete in the first round, you got just under a 50% chance of drafting a pro bowler. If you draft a non-tester, you have about a 27% chance of drafting a pro bowler. So, you know, just roll a roll of the dice there. Um, 
I find it hard to believe you can draft that guy in the top 25 or so, 20, even 30. You know, you'd have to really have a run on your first round graded prospects for him to be the best player available on the board. Now, the, yesterday as well, top 30 visit, they brought in defensive lineman Logan Hall out of Houston. A lot of people thought he's a round two, maybe he's there at 63 type guy. He comes away here as a mid first round prospect for me. Uh, just everything that comes out, his data production, super high. His testing was super high. I thought he was really good on film. Um, I try to incorporate PFF data to see because they have uh, a lot of historical trends now that are starting to hit with what they're especially like pass rush productivity, things like that. Uh, Logan Hall grades really high. Now, Logan Hall is a defensive end, defensive tackle type because he's 6'6 six, six and 285. Uh, so he's a really tall guy that they played on the edge. They played him at nose. They played him inside to rush the passer. Really good first step. Really good in terms of agility. Great swim move. Um, good pass rusher. And I think the Bengals are bringing him in for a visit, not only because he, he did have an injury that needs to be checked out, even though he tested and tested very, very well, like a 90-something percentile athlete. Um, I think they're bringing him in because he is an option at 31. And most, I think the consensus board has him ranked 36th uh, using Marcus Mosher on Twitter. If you follow him, he's got a consensus board taking everyone's rankings into account. So he comes away just a little bit below where the Bengals pick. But I don't think we're going to fight over five slots or anything like that. That, that could mean the Bengals have him in that range of 31. So those would be two guys on the opposite ends of the spectrum. One, I think, is completely worth the pick in Logan Hall. One, I'm not sure is worth the, the risk you'd be uh, taking with Andrew Booth. That's interesting. Um, two positions there that I think among the consensus, you know, cornerback and a pass rushing interior guy on the defensive line. Those are the two, still the two kind of holes on, on the team. What about, uh, there's also been a lot of chat about Tyler Linderbaum and um, I wondered your thoughts on him because initially it was kind of, he was pegged in for a top 20 pick. But now you're seeing a lot of mocks, and I know mocks are mocks, and you know things don't happen that way. But you know, it's it's kind of a fun thing to see how players rise and fall on on various people's big boards and draft boards. Linderbaum seems to be appearing uh, more and more regularly. I mean, are you a fan of him, and what what are your thoughts on him? Is he one of the the kind of perhaps top twenty guys that have fallen slightly because perhaps there isn't a need for a centre? Yeah, I love Tyler Linderbaum on tape. I think he is one of the best centers I've ever watched. Uh, and this is an undersized guy where he's, I think at times, I think freshman year, he's, he's out there at 260-something pounds, and he did good work as a freshman. But uh, even the last year, I, I would venture to guess he was 285 to 295 at times. Uh, he just weighed in at his pro day at 300. So he is putting on weight and attempting to. But he also has very short arms at, at sub 32-inch, uh, which – when you get in that 30, 31 inch range, I mean, it is extremely short and it, that's when it starts to affect you. You know, you hear a lot of arm length and hand size and this and that. It only matters once a guy becomes an outlier, which he's like, okay, this is the shortest arm for a center starting in the league. That could start to affect you when you go against big guys. And it does sometimes that tape, uh, the, the size, the power stuff does affect him at times. But what he is, is an extremely elite athlete, very explosive, very, very technically sound. Um, his hand placement is extremely good. Very, very strong hands moves guys for a small guy. He moves people out of the way with his technique, with his athleticism, um, generating power from speed. 
uh, he's a very, very good zone blocker and a very good blocker in space. If I, if you cut on 10 games or so, I don't think you'll see him miss a block in the second level, climbing up and trying to wall off these linebackers and things like that. Very, very good at that. Uh, the reason a guy like that would fall, though, so why would he be there at 31 if he sounds that good? Because he grades away for me as like a top 12-ish prospect. He's probably right in that you know, back half of there where, where if everything size-wise checked out, I think he would go top 15 for sure. But centers typically do not go before pick 21. Historically, you've got a couple guys that have gone before that. I think Garrett Bradbury recently was 18, and Frank Ragnow went 20 right before the Bengals at 21, full circle there. But point is, they don't typically go very high. So if the highest and the best centers you watch go at best at the end of the teens, early 20s, is it that much of a fall if a guy with uh, very short arms that didn't test until the other day. So he's a very late tester because he had a, a foot injury coming off his final game at Iowa. Uh, is it a stretch to say he falls 10 picks because he only probably fits zone schemes and he only probably plays center. So he's not going to fit with a lot of these teams where you see the, you draft a center. A lot of these teams will play my guard for a year, get him acclimated James and movement where he's caught. Exactly. So you, you want to do that, I think. And Frank Ragnow did that, too, I actually, thinking of that draft class. The Bengals were only ones to put Price at center and keep them there until later years. But the point is, I think you want to get those guys acclimated before you make them uh, take over the calls on the offensive line, right? So if he's only a center, you have that flexibility. You have that luxury of playing him at guard. Um, for a lot of teams, that may scare them off. For the Bengals, you signed a guy that could play guard and center. I mean, Ted Karras played left guard all year last year, had his best year in the career in his NFL career, I believe, at left guard. So if you had to do that and Linderbaum takes over at center, you've got a smart guy with center experience next to him that can make the calls. It would make a lot of sense for the Bengals. So he doesn't fit every team. He doesn't – the opportunity doesn't line up with every team. And even looking from picks 21 to 31 – there's not a lot of teams there that need a center. It's just mm. having to work out that way. Uh, so I think that's why he could still be there. Now, we have to question, we have to wonder, just the way the Bengals have drafted offensive linemen recently, mm. do they want a guy that's a little undersized that lacks the power based on his body type and structure and how he, you know, his fit in, in the NFL? Um, I, th I do worry that they would pass him because uh, just the way they describe some players and, and some things. I Everything tells me that he would be very high on their board, though, based on how I've structured, how I do it, and the way the historical trends come up. He would be very high on their board. It would take something um, that just is unforeseen, where they just that they don't like about him. Mm. And uh, of course, you know, um, we run this wide zone scheme. You know, so he would be a scheme fit as well. So, so what you're saying is at the end of 31, it could be a cornerback. It could be someone like an Andrew Booth. It could be an interior defensive uh, uh, tackle, a three technique, or something, or someone at least with position versatility. Um, what if someone like, uh, I mean, I, I, in my mock today, I went to, uh, what was his name? Is it Enigbari, the defensive end? Um, From Penn, Penn State? Uh, South Carolina, Kingsley Enigbari. Yeah, I, I think that's how it's go, it goes. You took, where'd you take him? Uh, early second. Or oh, sorry, okay. uh, um, 63 in the second. So. Okay. Um, so, but that's, I mean, it's, it's all about position versatility. And you say you get that with someone like a Logan Hall. 
um, who I'm a huge fan of, by the way. So I, I'm rooting for for Logan Hall pick there. But um, what else? I mean, going down the line, and um, you let's talk about cornerback because that again that seems to be a position that a lot of people are. Focusing on, and when you get to the second and third rounds, there seems to be a bit of a drop off, especially where the Bengals mm. are uh, picking at the end of the second round. You're looking at players like Kyler Gordon and McCreary, and you know, no doubt Kyrie Elam will be gone by then. Certainly, perhaps even bottom of the first. Um, what are you saying about? Would you like to see the Bengals pick a corner? earlier rather than later. I know they brought in someone like an Alante Taylor in for a visit, um, which what we're looking at third round for, for him. Uh, but would you like to see uh, them go uh, higher for a corner? You know, um, the way it comes out for me, I do think there will be value in the second and possibly third rounds where you can get a potential starter for you. If you're looking at an Alante Taylor out of Tennessee in the third round, I think that's a fine roll of the dice to get a future um, number two type corner uh, and the way he comes out for me. But I think the fall or the, or the drop off is more at defensive tackle where I right. keep you run the simulators and the options at 63. I get there and I'm like, yeah, I just don't love it. You know, I don't love the guys that are there. It's kind of the, the, the cliff is pretty stiff. But for corner, you mentioned Kyler Gordon. He actually comes out as a first round guy for me. If they took him at 31, I would not be upset. I like him. All. I, like I know. Him yeah. Yeah, he looks like Leon Hall to me a lot of the ways. I mean, his quick feet, extremely explosive and twitchy, um, extremely good in zone uh, in terms of clicking and closing and then covering multiple um, routes at the same time and anticipating how they're trying to attack him. Um, good, very good physical tackler. I think he'd make a lot of sense. I, I think in the future for him, he's going to be a boundary corner for the Bengals. And then maybe when Mike Hilton moves on, he's a guy that would slide inside similar to Leon Hall did. Yeah. You know, Hall played boundary the first four years and then started to play both. He'd be on the outside and base defense and move inside and nickel and cover, you know, some really good slot receivers. And he was tremendous at it. And I think Kyler Gordon has that uh, type of potential and the way he comes out for me is, is very high. Now, his teammate also, Trent McDuffie from Washington, um, because he doesn't have the length, I think, to pass everyone's threshold. There's a chance a top 20 guy like that is still there at 31. And I think we come away, we're very happy with that first round because, you know, it's kind of the, 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 the talk about how you perceive these guys beforehand. A lot of fans would see that guy as a top 20 guy still there at 31, where people see Kyler Gordon as a early second mid-second round pick if you took him at 31 it'd feel like a reach but they come out grading almost exactly the same for me um so i would be pretty much just as happy either way uh, round two guys though i think martin emerson i think roger mccreary and i think uh, cam taylor Britt all make a lot of sense for the Bengals. they're all very different mccreary is a highly productive play and played in the sec auburn um went against some of the best receivers he, he probably Six guys that won the top 40 or 50, he's faced them and, and did what he had to do. Uh, he's not going to pass the length threshold. I mean, this guy's got T-Rex, you know, situation here with no arms. <laughs> he's coming at 28-inch um, arms uh, percentile-wise. I think he's like 11 percentile for length. Anyways, point is there. The opposite end of the spectrum is Martin Emerson, uh, Texas A&M, who the guy's length for days. I mean, he's tall. He's long. He plays in an off-zone scheme, which I think would fit the Bengals very well. Uh, he just doesn't have the, the the straight line type of speed. And I think every team covets speed. So, uh, you know, that could drop him down a little bit. But his production scores are really high as well. Uh, the interesting one that they did bring in for a visit was Cam Taylor-Britt out of Nebraska. Uh, this guy's a little more twitchy, a little quicker. He's got good ball production. 
Uh, he's played all around uh, from both sides of the field to inside to even some safety when they rotate things around. Uh, he makes a lot of sense as well. I think he could, all three of these guys could take over for Eli Apple. And I, I know we like, at first we start this talking like, well, we like Eli Apple for what he did. He played well last year. Uh, they bring him back. That's a good thing. I do think there is a path for whatever rookie they draft here to unseat Apple. If it's not this year as a rookie, it's guys are going to get hurt and he's going to play at some point. So you've got to have that, uh, a guy you feel comfortable in. And I think that's why when we talk about defensive tackle and corner, it's because both those guys are going to play and play a lot probably as rookies. And if not, um, it would be probably year two where you need those guys to step in and, and into big roles. So I, I do think if you're looking in the top three rounds to address corner, and I definitely think they are the guys that scare me that they keep coming up are, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we should talk about that. Tariq Woolen out of UTSA. This is the yeah, guy we that had, we I know that you, you've been on Lap's podcast last week, uh, and Lap was on ours last week. And he he mentioned he was talking about Tariq Woolen quite a lot yeah. just because of the, the measurables. He's enormous, he's an athletic freak, but there's something in what I've seen and what I've read. Uh, he I'm not sold on him, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that was 6'4", 205, almost 34-inch arms. He he ends up testing in the 97th percentile. I mean, freak athlete. But when you cut on the tape, and there's only it's limited tape to watch because he's from a very small school, um, he doesn't tackle. He doesn't want to tackle. Uh, he's got poor ball skills for a former wide receiver. Uh, it, and it shows up in his production. His production uh, profile puts him in the 14th percentile. For I mean, this is going to average him and, and compare him to um, 50 years of data when it comes to how often is he getting involved in the run game, how often is he making tackles, how often is he getting his, his hands on the ball. Um, extremely low. It looks like he, at best he would develop into a starter is what the upside says there based on his historical profile. Uh, he's raw, and he is – the flashes there aren't enough for me to take him – in the top five rounds, even with the upside. And it scares me because I see when when Lap talks about him, when other people bring him up, when uh, I think uh, Dane Brugler has him in the round two on his final mock. Man, I would not like that. That would that, that would come away um, pretty scary for me. A couple other guys just to mention there, just in case. We should talk about Cincinnati. They got a lot of players. Kobe Bryant could be a third-round pick as well. Mm-hmm. I think he would fit. His only knock there is that he's 23 and some change already. The peak years tend to be about 24 years old for corners. Um, but that hasn't hurt the Bengals in the past, or at least hasn't affected their ability to draft. They took William Jackson as a 23-year-old rookie. No coincidence that his best year was his 24-year-old year as well. And then that was, you know, we didn't see that peak again. So uh, I like to draft young corners so he gets knocked a little bit and probably puts Kobe Bryant in the third round. Mm. Uh, I know, if I know anything about you, Joe Goodbury, it is that you do like a cornerback with great ball skills. Forget, yes, yes. The, spe- the speed and, you know, the durability and the ability to tackle is almost like a given. You expect that from, which is why Tariq Woolen, I think, is a bit scary. But you mm. love a cornerback with ball skills. Um, have you got any favorite out of this class in terms of cornerback? Yeah, uh, and why ball skills are so important. And, and I like the way you phrased it, too, because, you know, you can almost forget speed at times because the great equal equalizer is when the ball's in the air and both you and the receiver are looking up at the ball, who maintains their speed because they're confident in where that ball's landing and they can get there before the other guy, right? If you can instantly look up, track it, and get to that spot, 
you're now you're fast faster than the guy who isn't accurately judging it. So it is an important trait. And, and it, I, I always use uh, Richard Sherman as the example. Uh, this is a guy that was six foot three zone corner, not the fastest guy, not the twitchiest guy. He was just athletic enough. He was extremely smart. But the thing they that they don't ever talk and why I fell in love with ball skills is because they kept trying to find these six foot three corners and be like, oh, we can he can be our Richard Sherman. And the reason why they never were Richard Sherman is because they never had the ball skills. He was a former receiver at Stanford as well. And when you started at the first few years, when teams were actually trying to test him and test him deep, it became like, oh, no, he has better ball skills than our receiver. And it's extremely dangerous to even try and throw that way. Uh, 50-50 at best. Forget that. It was it was probably 30 percent chance your receivers coming down with it. And that's what made Sherman so good. So when I watch these guys, it is one thing I definitely look for. And I don't think it's any surprise that the top two guys and Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley probably have the two best balls. Because now Sauce only gets tested like 20 times a year. So it's hard to actually get a a full feel for it. But when you see him go through his drills and look at previous years, you can see it. But Stingley definitely has tremendous ball skills. Uh, he's both guys probably go top 12. So it's not worth the discussion. But for me, I think uh, that's why I brought up Kyler Gordon. I think for what he shows. And if you put on the USC game, he has two interceptions that game. And there's only two career interceptions. But both are tremendous. And it's like, it kind of makes you wonder like, why didn't he get his hands on more balls? And then you watch a few more games and it's because teams will not test them that way anymore. It's like, they're, they're like, yeah, we're not going to, we'll, we'll throw it deep only if we get him beat where to the point where, cause he's got four or five speed. If our receiver can beat him downfield and we don't have to, he can, you know, our receiver can box him out and make a play on it. Otherwise we're not going to let him click and, and, and stop and redirect and get underneath our guy and make a play on the ball because he's just too good at it. Uh, the other guys that I, that I really like are, are um, uh, Roger McCreary, despite the lack of arm length, does, plays the ball really well in Cam Taylor Britt as well. That's why I like both those guys, despite not traditionally fitting what I would typically like. I think guys like that tend to overplay what um, what their production was in college. Well, the last time we were talking about the Bengals drafting a cornerback, you guessed right, with William Jackson. So I think everyone listening Write those names down and see what happens. Uh, we've talked a bit about defensive tackle. Any other any other position groups you think is worthy of discussion? Maybe a tight end, maybe some wide receiver depth at all? I think definitely tight end. Uh, they're bringing in more and more guys. Every time we, we get a new report every day, it seems like another tight end is bringing in for, coming in for a visit. So I definitely think that's going to be a pick. The hard part is really locking it down because they've, They've looked at my number one guy. They've looked at my number 18 guy in terms of, of meeting with, who's, the, you know. Okay, the, who's your number one guy then? Well, it's Trey McBride, uh, yeah. you know, out of Colorado <clears throat> State. And, I mean, we're talking about a guy who can pretty much do it all. I mean, none of these guys are great blockers. That's a skill you have to develop in the NFL, just the way wide open college football is. But uh, he goes deep. He goes short. He runs after the catch. He's got good hands. I mean, they, he's a good athlete. He's good. He's fast. He's got everything you're looking for, I think. Uh, probably for a top 40 to 45 pick. So is he there at 31? Is that someone you want to reach a little bit on a tight end? I don't think so. So I feel like he just kind of, um, you know, two stars passing in the night there. He's gonna, just going to go out of their range a little bit. Uh, but then that last guy is Grant Calcaterra out of SMU. I was um, just going to say him. I really yeah. like him, but, oh, I don't know, with his concussion. It's not, yeah, that, that, that's part of it, right? And he's one of the younger – or no, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong line there. He's he, he's one of the guys that had higher production um, for the late round guys, one of the faster guys, 4'6", 2", as well. Uh, 
yeah, I think the the idea that he is a fifth, sixth rounder, I think will appeal to teams because it's not a very fast tight end class. And people may be surprised, but tight end and speed scores are highly correlative. You, if you run fast, you've got a good chance. And now it doesn't mean a guys that are running four fours are automatically going to be good. But if you look at the top uh, top tight end number ones in the NFL, the slowest guy runs a four seven six, and Zach Ertz, and he's highly athletic. So I mean, you can't run faster than four, four seven five and expect that guy to turn into a tight end one. It just doesn't happen. Um, I mean, they have to beat some of the freakiest athletes that linebacker and safety in the league. And then you have to be an athlete yourself. Uh, having said that, I think there's a lot of round two and round three tight ends and Greg Dolchich at UCLA. I like Charlie Kohler out of Iowa state, Cole Turner out of Nevada. Uh, I think those guys are probably second. I think Dolchich is probably late second. I think Turner and, and Kohler are probably third, maybe even fourth round picks. You start to get into where is the value of tight end. Um, historical data will say it's rounds three, four, and five is where you should probably find the most athletic, uh, best receiving type of tight end and let him develop for two years before you actually need him. I think that's where the Bengals could be looking based on a lot. The guys they've met with I have here are Trey McBride, Greg Dolchich, Isaiah Likely, Nick Muse, Grant Calcaterra. Uh, there was one more. Uh, was it? Oh, they're at Jeremy Ruckert's Ohio uh, Pro State Day, uh, Pro Day at Ohio State. Uh, he didn't test. He didn't uh, receive a lot with three good receivers in front of him. But again, some people have Jeremy Rucker as tight end number one in this class. Uh, I, he comes away from me for as more of like a fourth round type of guy because of the profile. We talked about guys that don't test and the rest carried with that. So I do think their tight end is going to be picked where and when um, is pretty much where I'm struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. Because you say they, they've, they've spoken to I think what most people consensus is what most fans number one tight end as in Trey McBride is, you know, and he's going to go perhaps second round, you know? Um, So are they willing to kind of invest in another, another second round tight end um, with the depth that they've already got in that room? I'm not sure like you, I think it might be four or five and I think it's, it's deep enough to, to get someone really interesting uh, like you, I love Cole Turner, and I, I really like Charlie Kohler as well. Um, mm-hmm. What about receiver? It's it's one of those things. Like, oh, we're set at receiver. We've got arguably the best trio, starting trio receivers in the league. So why should we be looking at wide receiver again? Well, I think it's a position they definitely value. Number one, I, you know, they they want to be strong at receiver. As you see, they've got th- three premium picks spent there. Um, a first rounder, top five pick, two second rounders uh, in Higgins and Boyd and, and Chase. So I think they want to be strong there. They're a three wide receiver offense, obviously. When you saw T. Higgins go down with that shoulder, uh, what was that week like three to week six or so? It had an effect. I think it had an effect on Chase as well. Uh, you know, he was going through his rookie grind there, figuring out how to be a number one. Uh, once they both got back on the field, it seemed like both of them clicked instantly and we took off on, on offense that second half of the year. Uh, I think it's important to have three good receivers. Now, obviously, but where I was going to go with that, my, my thought process where I drew a blank is there was research I read recently and I retweeted it on Twitter that showed the value of your number one receiver. And that was something we debated a lot last year with people like, well, we got Higgins and Boyd already. What, you know, why do you need a number one? Well, we see it now, right? The value, I mean, we don't even have to use data to say like having Chase, 
change the offense and what Joe Burrow could do. His deep ball was hitting, you know, opening it up for everyone. The match for the value. So what could match the value of an impact wide receiver? It's actually the depth of receivers two, three, and four. Um, Teams will focus and hyper-focus on wide receiver one. And if you're good at wide receiver two, three, and four, you can now um, start to match that production. But that only happens when you have a true number one. So now the Bengals have a true number one, and they are really good at two and three. The number four guy, though, now, is it Mike Thomas? Is it Trent Taylor? I mean, what they really are down on the depth chart now at, 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 at that position. <clears throat> I think they want a guy that could probably step in if a guy goes down for a few weeks, like we've seen, or somebody that could groom to eventually replace Tyler Boyd in the slot. we got probably two more years with Boyd, and you probably can't pay him because you're going to ideally pay Higgins and Chase, and that's fine. Boyd's been a great player for the Bengals, great career. Uh, still got time, so it's not time to talk about that yet. But the I think the part they're missing from this receiving core is a guy that can run after the catch, maybe someone you can throw some screens to, guys that create instant separation that – you know, I wouldn't it be great to have an Andrew Hawkins on this roster right now. And those guys go late sometimes, but like, you know, getting those guys and they're starting to go a little bit earlier. I think in today's NFL, like last year, uh, Rondell Moore out of Purdue goes in round two to the Cardinals. Uh, those guys start to get pushed up a little bit earlier this year. It's Wendell Robinson. Um, Probably going round two, maybe round three, but I think he'd be an awesome number four receiver for the Bengals and eventually take over for Boyd in the slot. But can you afford to spend the pick that high? Uh, you know, I think more likely we'll see a receiver pick fourth. Yeah, day three, fourth through seventh round. I do think they'll take one and upgrade that depth. So you're talking about exactly as you're describing, not a gadgety play, but someone a bit shifty or a bit kind of instantly very quick can make a playmaker that can just make things happen. So you were talk- are you talking like a Bo Melton? Are you talking like sure. um, yeah. a Calvin Austin? You know, those sort of... yes guys you know that's what because um i noticed that they were they they were been talking to is isaiah wilson who's reckoned to be like a very low pick even perhaps a free agent and he's your bigger and i'm a huge fan of tyquan thornton who is your sort of six two six three guy mm. that kind of does it all receiver uh your prototype i guess uh outside receiver uh but you're you're talking about something a little bit more niche perhaps well, I think you can also find the guys that can help as a returner as well, you right. know, and sometimes yeah. those, those shorter guys, I think they want to upgrade their punt return game. And, um, you know, Brandon Wilson's back. He's a good kick returner, but he, you know, he dealt with an injury last year. A uh, punt returner is a whole different beast. Wilson doesn't do that. They tried Darius Phillips. That didn't work out. You know, they, they've struggled to find a good punt return guy. Now, punt returner has kind of gone to the wayside in the NFL. It just isn't happening the way it used to. These punters are too good. I think there was Offenses two punt return touchdowns. They don't punt anymore, do they? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's part two, and they're just going for it. So we're not even yeah. getting as many punts as we were before. Uh, so point being there is is what's the value? I, I do think if they could double dip at corner and find a corner that has punt returnability, uh, Kalon Barnes or Marcus Jones, uh, Baylor and, and, and Houston – respectively. Uh, I think both those guys, if they're still there in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I could see them double dipping and then getting another corner. That's maybe a slot guy slash returner, but you're right. Uh, they have been linked to a lot of taller outside receivers. And Brian Callahan was just on with the lockdown Bengals. I listened to it and he, they asked him a question about uh, when basically you're in position to draft a developmental guy rather than a guy that you need to rely on. 
And he quickly talked about receiver or not in the position they're at where you've got three guys you love and are good. Uh, and does that afford you the ability to draft a guy that's maybe seen as more of a developmental uh, prospect that can learn behind these guys? And, and yeah, I think they could use one of those. We talked about just now when, when Higgins went down. If you've got a shifty slot guy, that's not going to replace Higgins. That's not going to replace that boundary position. So they could almost use two types. One to enhance their offense would be a shifty um, slot guy that can get open quickly, run screens to. The other part would be, yeah, developing somebody behind Higgins and Chase that can be a vertical outside threat, and you can, your offense won't really miss a beat because he can, you know, stretch the field and get deep. So it, I think it could go either way. I think, you know, this is the year that after, there's a lot of agents that will um, put out their feelers when they have undrafted guys or the guys they expect to go undrafted, and they start already looking like, What's the depth chart look like at defensive end? I've had these conversations before, an agent uh, with an undrafted player. Hey, what's the Bengals' depth chart look like at the end? Are they, are they high on this guy or that guy, or what's it look like here? I think if you're an undrafted guy this year, and even if the Bengals take one, if you're a receiver, you've got a lot of opportunity to end up being the, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy on this roster. You've got a great shot to make this roster. And uh, uh, that may be a situation where they draft one and get one of the top undrafted guys this year. Right, let's finish things off, Joe. Um, draft crushes. I always like to ask you for not your top guys, your mid-rounds who you think, oh, he's he, he's a sneaky one. I like him. Have you got any names for us this year? Who are you keeping your eye on in the lower rounds? Yeah, I've got a couple at defensive tackle that end up grading high for me. One from Cincinnati, Curtis Brooks, defensive tackle, sixth-year guy. Uh, he played a lot of um, nose tackle for them. Sixth year because we got the COVID year, so a lot of guys ah, end up with an extra course. year. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a little bit older of a draft class, actually. It's kind of going to test my my parameters here because there's a lot of guys that are 23 and a half, 24, right, um, yeah. even some that are 25 that'll go in the first round. Uh, but uh, Curtis Brooks, yeah, and then this last year he has seven and a half sacks, and I think 17 tackles for a loss. You look at PFF, um, he hits a 19% win percent, uh, pass rush win percent which is the highest of all defensive tackles this year. Uh, he tested like a 93rd percentile athlete. Yet, if you look at anyone's rankings, he's not supposed to get drafted. So, I mean, like, is, are we talking about this because he's older? Is that why? Because he only became a starter this past year when Cincinnati was really good. Honestly, he looked like one of their better players on the team. Um, if he's a sixth, seventh round pick, that's definitely worth it. Uh, the other defensive tackle is Ben Stilley out of Nebraska. Very similar. Profile comes out very high. I watch tape, and I'm like, eh. He doesn't look as good as he tested. Then I don't see the flashes as much as the stats would suggest. But there is enough of consistent play where if this guy's a late round pick, uh, I think he's going to stick on the on an NFL team. So there's two defensive tackles there that because the class drops off, I think after round two, I kind of don't feel great about any of these. I get mock drafts sent to me with with guys like Matthew Butler um, in the round three or so, and I'm like, eh, I don't really see it. Um, I'd almost not spend a pick and rather draft some of the, some of these guys real late that have um, high end potential that check every box that aren't projected to go in those rounds. There's a couple other guys that here that I wanted to get to edge rushers. Um, it's a strong, it's a, probably the best edge rushing class I've seen. And oh, wow. Wow. what that means. Yeah. And we didn't even get there because we feel good about Hendrickson and Hubbard and they drafted Joseph Asai who had a first round grade on last year. If Asai is back, that's good. You got three guys there. So what are some guys that can kick inside maybe and do work? Uh, you know, it, it, can you double as a defensive tackle? Remember, the Bengals used to do that all the time with their defensive ends. And they really well, they still do it with that. Cam Sample and Sam Hubbard, you know? They do. 
Right. So is this a cam sample situation? People have asked, is, is sample going to be groomed maybe as a future three tech? He kind of looked like that at times. And uh, so, but I still think that there's room for that's the type of player they like at DN guys that can kick inside. And you mentioned one in your, in your draft with, with an art Barry. I don't know how to say his name. It sounds like a Barry. Chevron should be Barry. Yeah, yeah. Bear? And now Bear? Anyways, let's keep moving here. Uh, Amari Barno, also out of Virginia Tech. Um, so these are, and he's more of an edge finesse guy. But I like also, I wanted to get a chance to talk to about um, about Greg Dolchich out of UCLA. And I know, mm. you, you know, I don't want to do too much late round, but I think if he's there in the third, round two seems a little bit high, but I think he's going to, Bengals pick it's that's that's the hard part right every time I do these projections I'm like yeah it's third round pick okay but the Bengals pick 63 in round two so are you going to get any of these guys if you Mm -hmm. wait till 95 unlikely um so and maybe it's a trade back scenario maybe the Bengals reach a little bit but I think when I watch Dolchich at tight end there's a chance he comes out of this class as the number one receiving tight end in two years or so he just looks the most athletic he looks the most fluid he's probably the best after the catch the guy averages averaged 17 yards per catch, and a lot of it was because he just turned nine-yard catches in the in the 12 or 13 every time. Right. He turned 12-yard catches in the 15, 16 every single time. Uh, if you watch the LSU game, he has over 100 yards and I think two touchdowns, but the one is like a 70-yarder breaking off three tackles and going down the sideline and just outracing guys and outmuscling guys all the way. Uh, that's like when I see that, he – I look at rankings this week and he's like number three, four, five, tight end six on some rankings. And I'm like, man, if he's still there in the third round, that's a high upside value pick that he would be like my guy to think that he's going to end up um, outplaying that position. And just real finally, if you were a betting man and um, they had a bunch of good options at 31, where do you think they might go? It's funny. Um, it's harder this year to project, right? You, mm. you kind of have to. You, it's the difference between some of the mock draft guys or, or draft guys that are into projecting players, evaluating players versus projecting what they're hearing from teams. Um, that's more of the reporting side of it. So you get an idea of who, who they think will be there. So that has the value of trying to project uh, the options at that pick. When you see guys that like, um, geez, what's his name from Purdue? George Karlaftis mm. is getting, I, Peter Schreger had him at that spot. Tyler Lindebaum at that spot for the Bengals. Those are two top 20 guys for me. If they're there, I think they're easy picks. George Karlaftis would be a tremendous edge guy. I think he can kick inside and he's one of the youngest players in this draft. Um, I That would be fantastic. And then you see the other side of, well, I think they want to address defensive tackle in the first round. I think they want to draft corner in the first round. And then I put my evaluations next to those and say, okay, what makes sense? That's why I believe it was on Tuesday, I, I want to say. my Someone asked me, Joe, make the call. And I said, I think it will be Logan Hall, uh, defensive lineman out of Houston. And the next day it was reported that he's coming in for a visit. So it was kind of nice to get some confirmation of interest, at least there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do think it could come out that way. The other defensive tackle at that spot is Travis Jones out of UConn, another highly athletic guy that had production, um, looks like a defensive or looks like a nose tackle at 6'4 or 6'3 and some change and two uh, or 340 and, and long arms and just a freak athlete that could develop into more of a pass rusher. I think he played more as a penetrating defensive tackle than he did nose tackle in college at UConn. And 
is that a reach? Are those reaches if you end up in the spot where the Karlaftis and the Linderbaum aren't there anymore mm. and you have to pick between guys that you have ranked 25 to 40 and you're in that pool of players? Is Kair Elam still there out of Florida, who we kind of glossed over quickly um, uh, at, when we went through corner? Uh, I think he would make a lot of sense for them. So as as I'm going to stay with what I felt this week, and maybe it'll change next week as we start to uh, get more information. This is the week where the information starts to bubble up a little bit more. I'm going to stick with Logan Hall, defensive tackle out of uh, out of Houston, and I think he makes a lot of sense and a lot of fronts for them. Uh, one of the underrated things about the Bengals and defensive tackle need is that they played a lot of five man fronts, three four defenses, if you will, where Hubbard and Hendrickson were outside linebacker edge type players, and your three interior D linemen were uh, a lot of times it was B.J. Hill and Ogunjobi flanking uh, D.J. Reader at nose, who's a tremendous nose tackle. But you lose Ogunjobi at 700 snaps. Maybe B.J. Hill goes from 500 to 700, but who's going to replace B.J. Hill's 500 snaps? And a lot of those were at um, between Ogunjobi and Hill. They played 412 snaps as five techs, which means those guys are, are typically not your Geno Atkins penetrating type of guys. They're the guys that are a little bit taller can two gap a little bit more, hold their guy up, see which way the running back's going uh, for a quick uh, idea of what two gapping is, and then shed his guy and make a play there. He's not trying to shoot in and cause chaos. And that's where I think Logan Hall fits as that five tech that would kick inside. Once you go into your nickel packages now, it would be Hendrickson, Hubbard, and Osai on the other side. Uh, and then you would have BJ Hill and uh, Logan Hall. And now he's your best athlete inside. He's one of your taller guys, one of your lengthier guys that can, you know, Remember, we used to have guys batting down passes in the middle of the, that defense. You know, Michael Johnson would kick inside and do it. Um, oh, Carlos Dunlap made a career. Yeah. And, oh, he was so good at it. You know, we could get to that point again of having maybe a little bit more length and a little bit more size inside. Uh, I think that would upgrade their pass rush unit tremendously. So I, I'm going to stick right now with Logan Hall. Okay. Well, there you have it. Uh, once here, Joe comes on and really goes deep for us, and we can't thank him enough. Um, Joe, um, it's always good to speak with you. Good to see you now with the technology that we have. Uh, listen, man, I know this is your kind of Christmas time, so enjoy the draft process and let's hope the Bengals uh, select someone that, or some people, a bunch of people who can really, again, improve the roster and let's go on another ridiculous, crazy ride again this year. Yeah, let's do that. That was fun. <laughs> let's do that again. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the time, Jay. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. So there you go. There was the brilliant Joe Goodbury. And once again, uh, we can't thank Joe enough for once again coming back onto the podcast and, and telling us who he's looking at. And of course, he takes a very in-depth uh, data-based approach to selecting who his guys are. He looks at how players have tested uh, in in which percentile they're placed in terms of athleticism, because that's kind of fairly crucial. Uh, position groups, what other people are saying, and it's uh, it was very interesting to hear. And of course, I think the main takeaway is that um, the Bengal. What do, what do the Bengals do schematically, and what they need? And the defensive line is a case in point. They often play five up front, which means kicking people inside or outside, or whatever that might be, and conversely, you know, look at the Chiefs game. Um, they only rushed three a lot of the time and played eight in the secondary. 
which seemed to snuff out um, Mahomes and his numerous threats. Who's to say that that won't happen again? So it just depends on what the Bengals uh, want and need schematically. People and players that fit into how they want to play. And um, all we can go on is um, what we perceive as fans to be needs and where these needs might fall and how they correspond with value in the draft. And, of course, Joe talked about a few cornerbacks there, Andrew Booth, uh, Kair Elam has been mentioned a great deal. Martin Emerson, uh, Joe mentioned as well. Uh, Cam Taylor-Britt, I mentioned Alonte Taylor, which I know the Bengals have brought in for a, a visit. And then you've got to look at uh, defensive tackles. And Joe, like me, really likes Logan Hall, who has a bit of a bit of a hybrid thing going on there. He's very tall, six foot six. Can play on the outside, then be pushed inside as well. Uh, who else did he mention? Travis Jones, the defensive tackle. Some tight ends. He really likes uh, Greg Dolchich, as do I. Uh, they bought in Trey McBride, the Bengals. So, you know, the names just keep on coming. And uh, it's going to be very interesting because they could go either way. And as Joe mentioned, they might, uh, because of the depth at the edge rusher class, Joe called it the best he's ever seen, which is saying something. Um, who's to say we wouldn't go for an edge rusher? At the uh, at pick 31 and, you know, someone with a bit of position versatility who can rush from the outside but quite capable of rushing from the inside, a bit like Cam Sample. Um, or at least uh, what they hoped Cam Sample would be last year. I think he, he flashed quite nicely last year in his rookie year. Let's hope he makes uh, improvements for year two. So a lot to digest, a lot to mull over and uh, a lot to think about, really. And next week, we'll be asking you. We want to get you involved next week. Um, we've had a couple of heavy draft-centric episodes. Of course, we had our British Bengals panel a few weeks back. Last week, we had Dave Lapham. And this week, we had Joe. Um, and I must say, if you don't follow Joe on Twitter, um, well, you really should do, really. I'm sure all of you do, at Joe Goodbury. Um but uh, yes, we want to hear from you next week. Who are your draft crushes? Who are you hoping the Bengals will draft? Who do you think are realistic prospects the Bengals are looking at? We know, obviously, who they're bringing in for visits and who they brought in for visits. Uh, so weighing everything up, who would you like to see the team draft? Do let us know at whoday underscore UK on Twitter, Bengals UK, on Facebook. And uh, we'll also be, well, just to let you know, we are working hard on um, coming up with a venue for our summer meetup. Yes, the last meetup we held, of course, was for the Super Bowl. The meetup to end all meetups, I think. But we want to build on that success and uh, hopefully uh, celebrate summer somewhere. Maybe a cheeky barbecue, a little cider on a sausage somewhere. Um, so watch this space. We'll bring you news of that as and when. We will, of course, be covering the draft uh, on our social media platforms. We'll be rolling out Good Morning Bengals on the uh, Friday morning after the Thursday night, Saturday and Sunday. And then Nathan and I will uh, no doubt go through uh, our 2022 draft class on the Monday night following. 
So a lot to look forward to there. Uh, I hope you had uh, a very happy Easter if you celebrate Easter and if not, just a really nice chilled out bank holiday long weekend. The sun has been out where I am and that makes obviously such a difference, doesn't it? Um, So until the next time, until next week, Nathan will be back. But it only remains for me to say a big thank you to Joe Goodbury and it's a who day from me.